This is Clearly Christian with Dr. Cy Smith, bringing light and giving voice to our country's single greatest hope while moving the culture to God's design. Our mission, to increase the census of those who live and influence society from a biblical worldview. The time for Clearly Christian is now. Here is your host, Dr. Cy Smith. Hi, I'm Dr. Cy Smith, and this is the Clearly Christian Podcast, a podcast about what it means to see the world from God's perspective, and then the impact that this has on training the next generation to live a life consistent with a biblical worldview. I'm delighted today to welcome my guest, Dr. Alan Pugh. He's president of the Barnabas uh, Group, and he'll tell us a little bit more about that later. But I've heard Alan speak on a number of occasions. He's a longtime friend of Christian education, and I always find him very, very challenging. He's a captivating speaker, and we've just enjoyed our connection through the years. But we'll get to him in just a moment. But first, let's go to school, and let me tell you about what today's episode is all about. Today, I want you to know more about the true nature of education, specifically the connection between learning and believing. The connection between learning and believing. You know, like millions of Americans, I've enjoyed watching The Chosen, which you can find as an app, and you can download it and stream it and cast it onto your TV. And it's a fascinating glimpse of what it might have been like to be a disciple for Jesus. And I think that's what they mean by the chosen, not only chosen 12, but chosen as the Jews. And again, I think it's very well done. And we've enjoyed watching those first uh, three seasons or or, uh, three seasons worth of episodes there. And for those of us that have been Christians for a long time, or perhaps you've grown up in the church, it really does well to give you a fresh perspective, uh, perhaps on all those uh, stories and parables and images you might have in your mind, but also challenges some of your understanding as well as to what it might have been like to walk with Jesus during those three years specifically of his ministry. And I was thinking, you know, we really have no problem understanding discipleship in this context. Uh, We see Jesus spending time with his disciples. They were living together. Uh, They were learning from him. Uh, They were hearing what he says. They were asking questions. We see the interactions. And we really, again, have no problem understanding discipleship in this context. But when it comes to discipleship and education, that's where things really uh, fall short for us. And we really don't understand discipleship and education, especially not in today's context. But the reality is, and here's a key I want you to hear today, the reality is schooling is discipleship. And every day when you send your child off to school, they are being discipled by someone. Someone is pouring into their lives. Someone is sharing a worldview academically, obviously intellectually, emotionally, even spiritually. And usually that worldview is the combination of what is presented in the curriculum and their own beliefs on that matter. And so what Dr. Pugh has said many times in his work, and I would certainly concur, the question then we have to ask ourselves as Christian parents is, just who do I want discipling my child? Do I want that person to be someone who knows Christ, who loves Christ, and who really understands the implications of what the Bible has to say about learning and all of the subject matter in schools? Or do I want that to be something, uh, someone who does not know Christ and knows nothing of the scriptures and what the Bible has to say about education? And do I want that person really training the heart and mind of my child as they try to navigate living in this fallen world? I think that's a great point. So point number one that I want to make today on our chalkboard points is this. 
Discipleship is education, and education is discipleship. As you'll learn in today's episodes, believing and learning always go hand in hand in the scriptures. You just can't separate the two, and we'll talk about that later. Chalkboard point number two, education is the parent's responsibility. Parents are responsible for both who is teaching your children and what they are learning. Their worldview is being shaped by someone and something every day. And chalkboard point number three, education has consequences. And if that education does not align with our Christian values and that biblical worldview, you will see the consequences play out. Just as it says in Luke 6, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both not fall into a pit? A student who is fully trained will be like his teacher. So again, it's time that Christian parents give heed to what the Bible has to say about education. We can't just blindly accept what's given out for free and expect that it's going to align with our biblical worldview. Our children are being discipled when they go off to school. They are believing and they are learning. And that's just the reality of what education is. Don't underestimate the power of our culture and the power of a teacher to influence, obviously, the mind and heart of a child. Again, in review, education is discipleship. Education is the parent's responsibility, and education has consequences. Well, I hope now you know more. And again, when you know more, you can do more. You can think differently. You can act differently. You can respond to those convictions, and you can say no more if you must. All right, now let's put this lesson plan into action, and we'll welcome our guest again, Dr. Alan Pugh. It's great to have you with us today. Uh, again, president of the Barnabas Group, and again, he'll tell us a little bit about that later. He's the author of a number of books, two of which I have read at length and I go back to all the time, Rethinking Discipleship, which will be kind of the focus of our talk today, and then also Rethinking Financial Sustainability. Those two books have really kind of set up my own career and how to run a Christian school and how I think about education and learning. So we're certainly excited to, to have him. He's a captivating speaker. He's been involved in Christian education for decades. I won't say the number of years. I'll keep him young uh, for decades. And uh, he served as obviously a teacher, an administrator, and even a provost at Master's College, a coach. I mean, he's run the gamut of all these uh, typical careers in Christian education. And we're just very, very, again, appreciative of him being here uh, as well thought out. I always enjoy uh, how um, you, like so many other leaders, uh, make your points effectively, uh, clearly, and uh, always challenge us as we uh, listen to good words. So thank you so much for being here. And he's joining us from Colorado today. Sai, it's great to be here. Thanks. Thanks for the invitation. Look, I'm looking forward, oh, to, the yeah. looking My forward pleasure. to the conversation. My pleasure. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, let's jump right in. Okay. And uh, one of the things that uh, I mentioned that I enjoy reading, of course, Rethinking Discipleship, and I've used this phrase, and I want to uh, jump right into this phrase because I think it'll set us up well. I've used this in several speeches, so my apologies, Dr. Bure, I probably should be giving you a little bit more credit when it comes to this, uh, this phrase. But I want to talk about, yeah, how you got there. But I love this idea that you say, hey, what's missing in our culture are confident and vibrant Christians who are actively influencing and penetrating the culture with a truly biblical life and worldview. I mean, boy, that really jumped off the page at me because I would certainly concur. But I wanted to just ask, you know, how, at what point did you get there and you said to yourself, boy, based on what I'm seeing, 
this is a this is a void. And, you know, what kind of led you to, to put that on paper and say, you know what, I think I'm right on this because I would concur. And I think most other national leaders would agree. I, th- I think the point where I really began to understand uh, that whole concept uh, really began early in my own experience as a student a million years ago. Uh, when I began to take note of the fact that uh, if you're going to develop your gifts, if you're going to become the person God has wired you to be and enables you to be, you can't get there on your own. Uh, Andy Stanley said something in a book a number of years ago that has stuck with me. He said, uh, you may be the best in the world at what you do, but you're never going to be as good as you can be without a coach. Uh, and that's that's kind of the reality we, we see when we look at the disciples in Jesus. Uh, and it is key to note and understand in terms of that, that Jesus called those men to follow him. They left their nets, Peter, uh, James, John, Andrew. They walked away from their careers, so to speak. And they spent three years, day after day after day, interacting with Christ in a very a specific, intimate manner. They observed and they saw. John uses the language, for example, in John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he says, we beheld his glory. And what John is meaning is we had the chance, it's a medical term, actually, that John employs in that text, and he says, we, we examined him, we looked him over, we saw him in every conceivable context and situation. Um, that's what allows us to develop in us the kind of thinking we need, uh, the strength of understanding we need to take what we believe to be true, and as you say, employ it in our everyday life. Uh, that's the key with, with uh, I think, Christian schooling. Uh, we, we have the opportunity to engage. Uh, we're the last place in the world, uh, in the United States anyway, to engage in what I would call a community of faith and learning. Jesus didn't call these guys to a a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning or a Monday morning discipleship class. He didn't say, hey, guys, show up for an hour. We'll drink some coffee and eat, uh, you know, eat some uh, donuts. He said, come follow me. Uh, Christian schooling is the last place in our country where we have the opportunity to do that. So kids have a chance to engage on a daily basis with people, that's kind of what gives them the confidence they need to step into what is becoming an increasingly challenged culture. Right. And and so I gather, uh, you know, you like me and so many others are saying, hey, when I'm observing the culture, I'm just not seeing where is the big group of Christians who are, you know, considered to be at play or considered to be a powerful lobbyist group or a powerful uh, group of think uh, thought leaders on this topic. It's like, you know, the culture just moves on without us and you might get a little blip on the radar here and now, here and then. But when you hear these research studies and you hear that, oh, 60, 70% of the country are believers. And then you wonder with, you know, well, if that's true, how are we going in this direction? There's no connection there. Where are those people who are influencing society for Christ? Well, and I think part of the challenge, even in Christian schools, uh, I think one arena in which the Christian school has probably not stepped into the gap in the way they need to is to help students uh, intentionally connect with their learning with how they need to behave. Uh, 
the, the Jews approached education in a very different way than the Greeks and the Romans did. Uh, the Greeks and the Romans approached education this way. Once you had, uh, once you got uh, control of the content, uh, you were considered educated. That was not true in the Hebrew world. Uh, you were not considered educated until you could take what you had learned and employ it in everyday living. It's, I tell people, what's the difference between how we educate attorneys and how we educate doctors? If you're an attorney, you go to three years of law school, you sit for the bar exam, you pass the exam, you're an attorney. You don't have to prove anything other than a command of the content. You go to medical school, uh, they don't let you take a scalpel at and just start hacking away on your patient until you've demonstrated the capacity to do that. Uh, Christian education, Christian schooling at its best is, is not just helping students understand what is true, but take what is true and employ it in their everyday life. Uh, my experience at a Christian school, a Christian high school, many, many years ago was exactly that. We were expected to live out um, what it is we're being taught was, uh, what we're being taught is true. Uh, I think that is crucial. Uh, Christian schools have the capacity, the opportunity to do that. I don't know that they always take advantage of that, but I think that's where we're losing it. We're we, our expectation, by the way, for our kids is so low. Uh, we don't uh, we don't expect much of eighteen and nineteen year olds anymore. Seventeen year olds and sixteen years old. Uh, my father was a member of the United States Marine Corps at eighteen years of age in the Second World War. The expectations on his performance was was pretty high. We don't have that same expectation of kids. We don't have that. We don't require that of kids. Uh, the scriptures, however, call us uh, to more than knowledge. It calls us on taking that knowledge, employing that knowledge in our everyday life. Yeah, well said. I mean, that is great. And I could not agree more. And it it is a challenge. And I think, but nobody has a better opportunity to do that than at Christian schools. Because as you said, we, we have a worldview. We have a mission ready to go. So let's put that thing into action and expect more, especially of those secondary students. When you get into yeah. those teen years, uh, and I, I, we've said that for most of my career as well. And it's a challenge, uh, no doubt, because the culture is so strong, but sorely, sorely needed. So really, that's a good segue into my next thought is that's really what you mean by when you say, and you get more specific in the book, you say, hey, parents, schooling is discipleship and discipleship is schooling. So again, when you choose that education, you know, keep that in mind. And, and that's really what you're anxious to tell parents there, correct? That That's correct. And I think one of the challenges we have is the word discipleship, the concept of discipleship, as it's employed so often in the church, has been kind of, uh, it's, it's been truncated, shrunken. Uh, so we uh, disciple, to, to make a disciple in the church today, we teach kids, well, they need to learn how to read the Bible and they need to know how to pray and they need to know how to share their faith. And we want them to live morally pure lives. But discipleship is much more robust than that. Uh, discipleship, as you said earlier in your introduction, is taking, uh, as Paul says, we're, we need to learn to take every thought captive to Christ. Every thought about everything, every thought about literature, every thought about uh, ethics, every thought about uh, policies concerning uh, uh Wealth and poverty in our country. What do we look at about war and peace? We, there's so much that our kids are being inundated with about climate uh, change. 
Uh, and we spend very little time helping kids understand the stewardship obligation that we were given in the garden. The creation mandate was take what God has created and make it better. Uh, so discipleship is this broad, robust understanding uh, and that's not taking place nearly at the depth it needs to in our local churches. It's, it's, just, it's just not. Uh, as I make my point in my book, uh, a pastor gets maybe 40 to 50 hours a year. That's it. Uh, and given uh, all the rest of the input that's coming into a kid's life, that is a thoroughly insufficient uh, amount of time. So discipleship is this daily every, everyday activity where we ponder what is true, what is good, what is beautiful, and how does that shape and direct every decision and action I take in my life. Uh, discipleship and education are simply, as I say in my book, two sides of the same coin. And the church, we've separated those two. You go to yeah, school yeah. for this, and you come here for that, and that's just... Uh, uh, Men like Francis Schaeffer pointed out that spiritual, secular dichotomy has been a devastating uh, philosophical construct in the church for a very, very, very long period of time. My goal here is to, is to bring those two things back together because that's where they belong. Yeah, exactly. And I would argue that uh, few people in the church are prepared to do that because they themselves have not been trained in that way. Uh, because I may be a wonderful Christian, have lived a long, long uh, life with the Lord, but I, my K-12 approach and even my uh, secondary schooling or my college schooling, my graduate school, things like that, we've never merged these ideas. So yeah. I really don't have that capacity to even pass it on to the next generation. So, yeah, and that uh, was a great segue into my next point. And you mentioned it there, the average, and you say this in your book, you know, the average Christian child is spending only about 47 hours a year in church. Uh, spending 15 minutes a day, if they're if they're normal, roughly, uh, average Christian teen in face-to-face -face conversation with their father. So uh, 15, which amounts to about, what, 41 hours a year, I think I, I read there in your mm -hmm. book. So 41 hours a year with dad, who might be a wonderful, solid Christian, and then 47 hours a year with my pastor. Contrast that with 1,350 hours, which I'm at school listening to other people. And uh, who wins, obviously, in these scenarios? And then you go on to say, you know, over 2,500 hours uh, engaged in the media. I mean, this is, this is the media and school far outnumber the hours that you're going to be in church and even with your, um, you know, even with your uh, parents. So as I said, even in the outset, don't underestimate uh, the power of the culture here. And I think that was your point, correct? It, it is. Uh, I'm a golfer, or at least I pretend to be one. Um, I enjoy the game. <laughs> Same. I, I, I started uh, uh, long enough ago that Arnold Palmer was the he was the image of golf when I was a when I was in high school, and I you know I was just I was taken with Palmer. And a couple of years ago, uh, right before uh, Arnold Palmer died, he he wrote a book. Uh, he I think the title of it's My Life. And so my wife, knowing my love of golf and of Arnold Palmer bought it for me. And I started reading it and just in the first chapter, I came across this, this narrative he was, he was posing. Uh, and I read it and I called my wife to said, babe, you gotta, you gotta hear this. This is incredible. And here's what Palmer said. He said, the most influential person in my life 
was my father. Uh, everybody called him Deke. He was the groundskeeper at Latrobe Country Club outside of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. Uh, he said, uh, you know, he, he was my he, he was my hero. And he said when my sister was born, I think uh, he was about three years old when his sister was born. His father, in those days you could do this, took, took his son to work every day. So he observed, you know, he was there with him all day long every day. It was very much the agrarian model, if you would, that we, we ponder when we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, you know, we're during the course of the day that you're following your dad around, your mom around. And so he's, and here's what he said. He said, he has such a huge influence on me. And the phrase he uses, how could I be so immersed in my father's world and not be influenced by him? Well, the problem today is mm. our kids don't get to be immersed in their father's world. Dad goes off to work. And if they're lucky, they're home by 7 o'clock in the evening after they've commuted all day. And in, in our day and age, mom goes off to work and comes home. They're immersed in another world. And the, and the two worlds in which they are most deeply immersed are school and media. And if you're in a secular public school, uh, you're immersed in some pretty toxic water. The same thing is true of the yeah. media. The thing about yeah. media is it's it's mesmerizing. It's it's profoundly impactful in the life of a kid. Uh, it's designed to be that way. So um, we need to create a context in which kids have the chance to be immersed in a world in which life and faith are connected in a profound way. And that's that's what Christian schools could do. And the church just can't do it in the time available. I've asked a lot of pastors this question. Do you have enough time with the men in your church you're trying to disciple? I have never had a pastor say, oh, yeah, I got plenty of time. All kinds of time. They all, they all <laughs> bemoan the lack of uh, access they have to those guys because they know it takes, it takes yeah. time. That's why Jesus, again, he called the disciples to come and follow him. Uh, so that immersion concept to me is absolutely crucial. And they're going to be immersed in school somewhere. And as you said earlier, uh, the question is, uh, who's, who's going to have an impact on their life? Yeah, I love that. And I think we can all relate to that Arnold Palmer example or some someone to that effect that has said, boy, yeah, I, I was strongly influenced by this person. And not nine out of 10, 10 out of 10, we'll say the number one variable was obviously the amount of time I spent with that person. Yep. Uh, and you know, rubbing shoulders and and side by side and really watching and observing and learning and doing that thing that again I, uh, I've been challenged to rethink how that looks just watching the chosen of all things <laughs> you know and, and uh, yet it's so uh, so interesting uh, how that that causes you to pause and say yeah okay yeah that would have been a really different. Uh, different, perhaps, than I even uh, conceived of it uh, being less like what I think about is, you know, 21st century schooling and more like what you and we all know to be real, that Hebrew form of education. Yeah. 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 So excellent. I certainly appreciate that. Well, and it certainly leads into, as I wanted to mention, go ahead. Well, and I was just going to say one of the questions I, when I have a gathering of teachers, one of the questions I will almost always ask them, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to conjure in your mind the person other than your parents who had the greatest amount of impact on you. 
And then I want you to ask yourself this question. Mm. What was it that allowed them to impact you? And in almost every case, it's exactly what you mm. just said, Cy. It was, it was a person. That's why I coached. I didn't coach basketball when I was teaching high school simply because I love basketball, which I did. I coached basketball because it gave me an opportunity in a really profound way to get close to, to uh, it was a smaller group of students, but I coached basketball, I coached baseball, senior class sponsor, yearbook advisor. All of those things that I chose to do were done so that I could have greater opportunity to impact my students beyond that one hour I had them in the classroom. And that's the opportunity we have yeah. if we'll take advantage of it. Yep, that's exactly right. And I love that point that you make, and, and I won't uh, uh, belabor it, but as parents need to ask themselves, yeah, what's the outcome I want for my child? And if I can't spend a lot of time with them, and we are a two-parent family or however the dynamics work, or two-parent uh, working family, uh, what, is those, what are those outcomes and how are we going to get there? Am I just going to roll the dice and hmm. see that it should happen you know, uh, by what's provided down the street? Or am I going to be intentional about it and saying, yep, this is likely going to be the result of X, Y, and Z? And so you've got to get some, you've got to give some uh, credit to that. Great thought. I wanted to, you're one of the few people who can probably also tackle this concept. And you mentioned it in your uh, latest article that I read in Renew a Nation magazine, which I mm. highly recommend. I think they did a good job. But you tackle this myth. You say, well, when you think about discipleship, you have to remember, parents, that uh, there is no such thing as education that's religiously neutral. Huh. And I think uh, we oftentimes forget that. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, let me let me explore that just a little bit uh, more and tell tell our listeners and, and viewers, what do you mean by that? Hey, you, you got to remember that education is not religiously and value neutral. Uh, yeah, and that's historical. Uh, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on this topic when I was at the University of Delaware. Um, Horace Mann, who is the father of America's common schools, what has what became the public schools, was a uh, uh, powerful, uh, what shall I say, opponent of what we would call historic evangelical Christianity. Uh, he despised uh, Christianity. Uh, and he realized that as long as uh, somebody else controlled the schools back in the 1830s and 1840s, they were, they were school associations, and most of them were related to religious organizations. And he wanted to start what, were, what became known as the common schools. Uh, and the argument he made was, uh, we're going to have schools that aren't caught up in this sectarian you know, war that we have in the United States. And, and, and it was against the backdrop of the religious wars in Europe. And so he said, we need to stop this, and we need to have a place of neutrality. Uh, what was meant by neutrality then is we weren't going to talk about Baptist theology or Reformed theology or Presbyterian theology or Catholic theology. Uh, we're not going to talk about those kinds of things. And so uh, he, you know, he got to the uh, largely Protestant politicians of his day to jump on board because they were all anti-Catholic. And so the, so the, the mm. early Protestant schools were this kind of watered-down, common denominator Protestantism. You know, it had the moral values uh, uh, of, you know, of, of the evangelical church or the Protestant church, but without any of the uh, specifics. Uh, 
Well, as long as the general culture was kind of a watered-down Protestantism, that wasn't as big a problem. But as the culture began to shift, as it did in the latter part of the 19th century and more specifically into the 20th century, uh, the fact of the matter is the schools were never neutral. That's why Catholic schools got started in this country. I mean, they, they looked at those schools and said, there's mm-hmm. nothing neutral about those schools. You read the King James Bible. We read the Douay version. Uh, all of your curriculum is all mm-hmm. built around that. This, these are, this is not a neutral system. It wasn't neutral in the 1840s, and it certainly isn't neutral in the 20, in the 21st century. So uh, we send our kids off to school assuming that there is neutrality. But the fact of the matter is, uh, Jesus says it pretty clearly, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either on my team or you're on the other team. And let, let's be, if there's any level of honesty at all, as we look at America's current uh, state-sponsored secular schools, there's nothing neutral there. God cannot be mentioned. He, by legal fiat, has been banished from the classroom. Uh, when you banish God from the conversation, what you're saying to the students that are in that classroom, God must have nothing of value to add to the conversation. Um, that's not a neutral position to take. But unfortunately, it's the position that has become entrenched uh, in our culture. And how do I say this? Largely unquestioned by those in the church. Mm-hmm. We just assume they're learning. They're learning to read. Right. And my question is, well, what are they reading, and what are the conversations they're having yeah. about what they're reading? What are they reading in history? What are the conversations? Right. So it's not a. There's nothing neutral about what's going on in the public system today. Nothing. Right. And I think the best evidence for that is exactly what I was going to mention uh, next, and that is the fact, just look at the consequences. <laughs> and you say in your book, if, 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 if this was all neutral, we wouldn't be where we're at right now. And we finally reached the place where the purpose for schooling as revealed in the scriptures is nearly 180 degrees, <laughs> as you say, in the opposite direction from how we currently do government education. Right. And those consequences have finally reached a place, uh, again, to quote you, that are uh, that have reached a point that is difficult to ignore. I mean, again, as we uh, all of us have scratched our head going, how in the world in the last, you know, what, five years is now I've got to make sure that I have a intellectual position on gender identity and gender dysphoria. I mean, it the avalanche has just happened. Uh-huh. So quickly, on the one hand, yet on the other hand, if I've been doing this now for over 100 years, since the you know middle 1800s, where I have decided that yeah, we're going to remove God and have a different agenda, um, then boy, as I said, education has consequences that it's finally caught up to us. Oh, that yeah. And that little phrase, um, great book written in 1948 called Ideas Have Consequences. Richard Weaver wrote that book. It's a brilliant little book. And he, he mm. one of the phrases you use, it, now again, it's 1948. One of the phrases he uses is this phrase, yeah. uh, we're being overwhelmed by a juggernaut of technology. Uh, now imagine what Richard Weaver mm. would say in uh, 2022 or 2023 about that juggernaut of technology. And so... Uh, uh, it's important. You know, I tell people that the primary purpose behind 
the education of our kids in the public system is pretty much twofold. One is what I call the socialization solution. It is uh, going back to, again, Horace Mann, he said, what do we need to do to make good Americans? Well, the definition of a good American has changed pretty dramatically since 1840. But that's one of the things. We, we, we want to socialize our students. We want to, uh, we want to form them in the image of what a certain group of people who have power uh, would identify as this is what it means to be a good American. The other part of education is the passport privilege. It's, you know, get education so you can get a good job so you can make a lot of money and live comfortably. Uh, those, those are kind of the two primary driving forces behind America's secular educational system. That is, as you say, 180 degrees uh, from the scripture. Now, every Jewish uh, young man learned to trade because they had to support themselves. Most of them lived an agrarian lifestyle, but the Apostle Paul, as we well know, was a tent maker. They learned to trade. But the fact of the matter is the goal of education, when you go back and read the wisdom literature, if you go back and read uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, you will receive the repeated refrain through there, the concept through there, that the, that the fear of God is the beginning. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of understanding. You can't have wisdom, knowledge, or understanding without beginning with the premise that God has spoken and what he has to say. We need to pay very careful attention to what he has to say. So I, I tell parents when you, and there's a lot of literature on this in the educational world, uh, if, you're, if your end point is the passport to privilege, so kids become, you know, they, they, they get a skill that they can take into the marketplace and make a lot of money. If that's your end point, your approach to education is going to look a lot different at the end point is wisdom. And, and, and given the yeah. overwhelming amount of information that unindates us on a daily basis, and now this whole, uh, you know, the whole artificial intelligence, how they're gathering all this data, and it's just, um, if we don't teach our kids to be discerning and know how to discern and know how to look at things and understand, this is truth and this is error. If they can't figure that out, then they are going to be constantly vulnerable. As the, the illustration the Apostle Paul uses in Ephesians 4, he said they remain like children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning craftiness of men. Our job is to ensure they're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and that they don't become victims of the cunning craftiness of men. To do that, they've got to be wise and they've got to be discerning, and that is going to be at the very heart of the education uh, that we deliver to our students. Yeah, great, great. I appreciate that. You know, we say in Christian education a lot, and that analogy of the three-legged school has been around for years and years and years, that really it's going to take the home the church and the Christian school to make sure that they are pointing these kids in the right direction and yeah. doing exactly what you're saying. How do we get the churches, you know, because we fear that, and we talked about it earlier in the limited amount of time, how do we get these churches uh, to really come on board with this mission and say, hey, even you have to recognize now that, you know, you can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. The home even needs as much support as possible. You've got to really jump all in and get on the same page with Christian schools and the home in this regard when it comes to education. What do you think we can we can do to really get that message across to evangelical leaders and, and, and uh, 
Christians, uh, Christian church leaders alike? That is a question. If I had an answer to that question, <laughs> I'd write another book and go on the road. I, I, think, right. I, I think there are two roadblocks, three roadblocks. Number one, and this is a hard thing to say to both pastors and parents, uh, most evangelical pastors do not have a biblical worldview. Uh, they went to seminary if they went to seminary, which many of them in this day and age do not even do that. They have an understanding of systematic theology. I mean, they can talk to you about uh, justification, you know, socio, uh, soteriology. They can talk to you about ecclesiology. They can talk to you about all these things because systematic theology has these categories. And irrespective of the system of theology, the categories remain pretty much the same across the board. So they, they know that stuff. That's where their comfort, work, comfort level is. Uh, there is no category in systematic theology labeled education. So they don't really have a biblical way to approach it. And so I get two major arguments from pastors. We want our kids to be salt and light in the public schools. And I want to go, your parents have trouble being salt and light at work. Don't kid yourself. Talk to them. Let them be honest with you. It's a hard place. So you want your eight-year-olds and your nine-year-olds, and then they're going through puberty, and they don't even know who they are or what in the, what in the world is going on today. Uh, you want them to be salt and light? They're not salt and light. They're, they're, they're targets. That's what they are. Uh, they're, they're not equipped to be salt and light. No mission agency, uh, reputable mission agency in the United States of America is going to send a mission, a missionary to, uh, to another culture without adequately equipping them to work within the context of that culture. And one of the most challenging cultures in the entire world is middle school and high school in the United States of America. So when they say we want them to be salt and light, they're not salt and light. Not very few. There are exceptions, but very few exceptions. The other thing is they, they will say to me, well, Alan, there's no place in the Bible where it says that uh, we're required to send our kid to a Christian school. And I go, I, I want to respond maybe a little s silly. I go, well, duh. Of course not. Schools, as we understand schools, didn't exist in the Old Testament and existed only in for a handful of very wealthy people in the New Testament. Of course there wouldn't be. But the scriptures are filled with exhortations about how we need to school our kids. Read Ephesians. Uh, read what, um, what uh, the wisdom literature has to say. Uh, you know, blessed is the man who does not, it says. Just read, does not do what? But is like, you know, is one who's, who's like a tree planted by rivers of water, whose roots go deep and are able to withstand those moments of drought and difficulty and challenge because their roots have gone deep. And so the Bible has a lot to say about schooling. So what I try to get them to, to understand is, is uh, how do we disciple people according to the scriptures? Well, however we dis uh, discipleship requires life on life. It requires uh, what we do in school every day. That's what's required. And what what is the best context uh, for that to take place in the modern day and age? And it's not going to be at your church, I hate to say this, when the kid's only going to be there 47 hours a year. That's not sufficient time. 
Uh, number two, I say to them, you know, we want our parents to disciple our kids and we give them no tools. May your pastor say to them, you need to have, you know, family altar. You need to disciple your kids. And I go, well, exactly how are they going to do that? Uh, they don't know how to do that. They've not been equipped to do that. They've not been trained to do that. And so you're laying this heavy burden on the shoulders of parents. They don't have the time and they don't have the resources and they have not been equipped for. Uh, unless they're going to yeah. homeschool. So Christian schools are, in my opinion, the right. best option available to us to do what we need to do. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Uh, that Yeah, we could do a whole show on that, couldn't we? we? I mean, that is a great, great topic. We could do a whole uh, show, yes. Yeah, and uh, I really appreciate it. And maybe we'll get to the point where, yeah, that even just uh, obviously from church to church and church, we're, we're finally there where we say, boy, you know, this is not going to happen. That even even the, the, the common church leader would say, we are not going to significantly move the needle in this culture mm-hmm. doing things the way we're doing. In fact, this is probably how we got here, yeah. doing things the way we're doing and looking out on my audience and saying, 90 to 95 percent, maybe even 100 percent of you, if we take those fractions and we extrapolate them nationally down to each little church, have been educated with the secular worldview. And you might be a believer for a long time. But again, you really don't understand education from God's perspective. Therefore, we just perpetuate the cycle and we're getting what we have been getting. So maybe, maybe that uh, if voices like ours just continue to, to be heard, we can get some of these people to finally say, listen, we ha- we're going to have to make a decision here. If we want some change, we're going to have to do some things differently. And that comes uh, or the, what comes along with that is rethinking education or rethinking discipleship as you have turned it. As we close, tell us a little bit about the Barnabas Group. And if they want to follow Dr. Alan Pugh, how can they do that on a regular basis? Because I know you probably have stirred some things up in the hearts and minds of listeners. So how can they keep track of uh, Barnabas and your ministry? Well, the Barnabas Group uh, was named after Barnabas. My my work has always uh, been focused on how can I best encourage those who have taken up the work of Christian schooling to do it better. Uh, so that's what I do. I work with schools primarily. On occasion, I get invited to work with the church, but mostly with K-12 schools. Uh, and my goal is just to help them get better at what God's called them to be. That's That's my ultimate goal. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, there's a, a couple of ways you can do it. One is uh, you can make contact uh, with me through my website, which is www.thebarnabasgroup, all together, uh, thebarnabasgroup, Inc., I-N-C, um, uh, .org. That's, uh, you can go on there, and it gives you a link where you can contact me, or you can just contact me uh, through email at apuetbg. A-P-U-E, Alan Pugh at the Barmer's Group, A-P-U-T-B-G at uh, gmail.com. You can contact me direct there. And I just tell people when you send me an email reference that, that you heard it on the Clearly Christian podcast because you get a lot of stuff. And if you're like me, things end up in spam and maybe they shouldn't. But if I don't know better, that's where that's where that email happens to go. I won't open it up. So that's the best way. And I send out a monthly uh, uh, newsletter, and it's uh, it's just my manic musings about what I see going on in the culture uh, and the role that Christian schooling plays in what I see going on in the culture. I put out ten issues a year, and uh, I think there's some pretty good stuff by. 
final book, if God gives me the chance, is going to be Rethinking a Life. And I'm going to go back and I've got 22 years of those newsletters and I'm going to go through them and say, I think this, this uh, has uh, survived the test of time. And I'm going to catalog those things and put them into a book <laughs> and hopefully get it in print. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing today. I'm so glad you're doing that. I think that's one of the things I've always liked about you is that you're actively thinking and then doing something with those thoughts. Hmm. And that's what uh, we as believers uh, can benefit from. And we can, uh, and I tend to think that way as well. If I have an idea, then let's chase it down and let's use it to make a difference. And, you know, uh, somebody out there must need that. So I love that about you. And I would encourage our listeners and our viewers, hey, get some of these books, uh, just type in rethinking and I'm sure his name will probably come up in rethinking something, right? As, a, as it relates to leadership and Christian education and business. And so, yeah, just a uh, great, great lessons there. Thank you so much for taking time uh, today. Thank you also to our audience for joining us on the Clearly Christian podcast. And I trust that now you know more about what we said, the true nature of education, specifically this idea of connecting, believing and learning. And again, looking at education as discipleship, someone is discipling your child. Because as we've said many times, the only thing or the only way we're really going to turn around this country and turn things back to Christ is we have to increase the number of people who truly live and operate with the biblical worldview. And the best hope we have for getting there, the best means of achieving success for this vision is to increase the number of the next generation who have a Christian education, either at home or in a Christian school. And that's how we'll move the needle in this country. So again, thank you so much for listening and watching today on the Clearly Christian Podcast. We enjoy and appreciate your being a part of this series. And until next time, thank you very much. This is Dr. Sai Smith. Thank you for listening to the Clearly Christian Podcast with Dr. Sai Smith. Hear more episodes at clearlychristianeducation.com. If you'd like more information about Christian education in your neighborhood, or if you're interested in education opportunities at Mansfield Christian School, or if you agree with Dr. Smith and want to help him in his mission to influence and awaken Christian America, you can send Dr. Smith an email through the clearlychristianeducation.com website. Message him on the Clearly Christian LinkedIn or Facebook page, or call the Clearly Christian Connect line at 419-756-5651. This has been the Clearly Christian Podcast with Dr. Cy Smith on clearlychristianeducation.com. Brought to you in conjunction with Mansfield Christian School. A Brian Media Production.